we're here today with Shang-Chi and we're getting shorter and net. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Off Screen. It's great to have your company. Uh, Van, how's your week been? Because you <laughs> and I have been sat through some interesting movies this week. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm really interested to start this first block of, of conversations with you. Because I know we've got a big Marvel uh, movie coming out, which is kind of the big release of this week. And then mm. we've got something a little bit more art house weird i don't know if we'll call it that it's been a very uneven week it's been a very mixed week and do you know the best part is i was supposed to see the aretha franklin movie uh a couple of nights ago as well and i mixed up the days <laughs> so i didn't get so it would have been a really uh weird week i think out of the ordinary normally but uh and, and you know what at least there's a, there's a james Wan horror movie coming out the tail end of next week that's not getting <laughs> press shown so it looks like there's some very interesting horror movies uh some interesting movies sorry horror movies literally movies out at the moment it's 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 that pandemic thing isn't it where our release schedules like even though they are all over the shop it is leading to some incredibly interesting combinations you would yes. never put half of these movies out the same week as a marvel movie in normal times in normal yeah. times we would struggle to find a third film you know to cover the weaker marvel movie is out and this week we could have had like eight if we'd really wanted all mental in their own distinct ways but as you've kind of insinuated already i think we're going to start with clearly the most off-kilter bex annette uh i don't have, <laughs> i don't know where to start with this so it's it's got all the elements that i think you know we talked a little bit off air about this that you think you'd love a rock musical mm. adam driver marion cotillard sparks uh, yeah, yeah, Sparks do because Sparks literally turn up in the opening as themselves. You know, those are the guys who've written this movie and have done, they've co-written this with Leo, is it Leo Carax? I think it's Leo Carax. Yeah. And uh, did, guided Holy Motors. And uh, they've done the soundtrack as well. And the weird thing about this is, I barely knew Sparks before that Edgar Wright movie about a month ago, maybe. Yeah. And I, I start watching this movie and the first song is So May We Start. And it's it's this all, it's, it's from this from the rafters, all the cast ensemble to camera musical number done yeah. to So May We Start. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, hang on, how do I know this song? Ah. Because as far, I went and checked and as far as I know, this is not an established Sparks track. It must have been in that documentary because if you go on on Spotify and you type in Sparks, put their discography, it doesn't pop up readily. It's not one of their songs. So there's, there's obviously been some, some groundwork laying for this with the documentary a month or so ago so that you're sort of attuned to some of the songs in it. But uh, plot then. What, what we got here, Bex? I'm going to see what you make of this plot before I get stuck in. I want to know what you make of this. Okay, I'm going to caveat this with I got about 45 minutes into this movie before I switched it off. So, so, so you've barely started then, is the answer to this. What, what is the plot for the first 45 minutes then? Go on. God knows. Um, so <laughs> Adam Driver is a comedian. Um, yep. He is married to Marion Cotillard, who is an opera singer. Yes. And he's doing some stand-up shows and they bloom and well just sing at each other the entire time. It's infuriating. 
Right, let, let, me ta- let me take that runway that you have laid so delicately for me, that narrative runway, and use it to take off into the skies of cinematic lunacy. So, Marianne Cotillard and Adam Driver, obviously opera singer and stand-up comedian, he's resentful of her fame, like her success. She's getting further in life, his comedy shows stink. They have a kid, Annette. Hence the clever title. Annette is portrayed to the audience as a, as a wooden puppet brought to life through CGI. She is treated as a normal human child. She is portrayed as Pinocchio. She inherits her mother's singing voice as well. Mum then dies. And Adam Driver, in his grief and solace and despair, turns to exploiting their child as a sort of child talent, as an opera singer, only to become quite possessive of her for her presence to bring up certain certain other lingering resentments he felt towards her mother. And wouldn't you know it, this Sweeney Todd-style murder spree ensues, culminating in, I kid you not the Super Bowl. I've, I've, I've got a clip that's, this is this is just Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard telling each other they love one another. Oh, I hate this. We love each other so much. We love each other so much. We're scoffing at logic. This wasn't the plan We love each other so much I, I'm going to continue what I was saying as this clip started. I hate this, right? Oh, no. <laughs> like, literally, this if you make it to this point, which is about 20 minutes in, I mean, you've done well, right? Because at this point, I very nearly, if I didn't have to review it to an extent, um, <laughs> switched it off at this point. They're walking and talking through woods, singing that garbage. This is the most self-indulgent piece of BS that I think I've ever watched. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, Bex. I mean, I always wondered what it would take to get a van out of you. I always wondered. And we finally found it. I will say, first of all, we owe Spike, as a society, we owe Spike Lee an apology for Chirac because that should have been better received. If this gets even a speck of kudos that wasn't already heaped tenfold upon Chirac, then Spike Lee has truly been done dirty. Because, my God, that was an infinitely better movie than this. See, see Chirac, by the way, if you've never seen it, it's a great, great movie. Uh, this is just, ooh. I, I, I can honestly say that it straddles the line between bourgeois, the yeah. other BS, the yeah. bat one, the bat one, the other BS, uh-huh. and boredom. So bourgeois BS and boredom. The problem is it straddles that line and it never, ever shifts. I I mean, I, I see it, 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 it's it's inventive and it's interesting and it's and it's got interesting ideas and it's got a good soundtrack, but you know what it's not? It's not in any way engaging. You will feel every second of this. It goes on and on for days. But anyway, we, we can't dwell. It's a stinker. We agree it's a stinker, right? It's a stinker. And, and don't watch the trailer and listen no. to the, the headline sort of review saying it's a cinematic masterpiece not to be missed. 100% miss this. It is terrible. You don't want to see Adam Driver walking on a stage in his like dressing gown with a singing audience that re- recites back how they're feeling. It is just so self-indulgent. Can we move on, please? <laughs> I, I knew you'd hate this, Bex. 
We know each other so much. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we signed the point. Let's move on to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I've only got a couple of minutes on this. Okay, so new Marvel movie from De- Destin Daniel Cretton, who gave us uh, Short Term 12. I think it was The Glass Castle, Just Mercy, a couple of years ago as well. Has a long-standing uh, relationship with uh, Brie Larson and Michael B. Jordan, for instance. Mm-hmm. So very interesting that he's, he's come into the Marvel verse, where they've both been. This is effectively Marvel does mystical martial arts and also addresses one of its big continuity problems that's annoyed fans for about 12 years, 13 years technically, uh, to do with the Mandarin and the Ten Rings. So, we had a Mandarin, if you remember, back in Iron Man 3. We had the Ten Rings, if you remember, back in Iron Man. We now get them both in their proper form. It turns out they were all smoke screens, as you know if you saw those movies. There is a real Ten Rings, there is a real Mandarin, and his son is our hero. His son is Shang-Chi, or should I say, Sean. He is a sort of slacker millennial type who hangs out in San Francisco with his his platonic BFF, Aquafina, and then one day, ninjas show up. And it turns out that Sean isn't really Sean, the... The, the Gangnam-loving millennial slacker type, he's actually the badass forgotten son of the Mandarin. He is the heir apparent to an eastern terror cell run by a man who has ten rings slotted around his, his forearms that give him unlimited power. Okay, and he has to effectively go back to the East to basically face his birthright, his long-forgotten family members, and ultimately his destiny. But more important than facing that, of course, is... I should also probably mention that my name's not technically Sean. What... what is it? It's... Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi? Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Shang. 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 S-H-A-N-G. Shang. Shang? Yeah. You change your name from Shang to Sean? Yeah, I don't... I wonder yeah. how... I wonder how your father found okay, you. I was 15 years old, all right? What is... what is your name change logic? You going into hiding okay. and your name is Michael? You want to change it to Michael? That's... that's not what happened. It's, you, it's like, hi, my name's Gina. I'm gonna go into hiding. My new name's Gina. So I'm just going to ask you a quick question in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with this. Because not many, like, you know, if you watch a solo movie, you kind of know who the character is. You kind of get it, like the general audience perspective. I don't think lots of people will be that familiar with Shang-Chi. So how does this sit in the rankings with other Marvel movies because of that? It's pretty standalone, actually. In terms of in terms of how you could sit and you could sit and watch this in the same way that you could watch Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, any of the solo introductory films. Like you could sit and watch the first Guardians. I'd argue you can still sit and watch the second because you know, Guardians because they kind of work as a standalone Star Wars thing. It works very well as a standalone thing. There are things in there that if you are a fan, if you're like me, for instance, you pour over every little detail. You're like, oh yeah, that's like Tim Roth from Incredible Hulk. Not really a spoiler because it's in the trailer, but you're like, oh and. and it's not like Tim Roth appears and it is the CG monster. Like, oh, that's that's still you think of that as Tim Roth, the abomination. There are things like that in there. I'll argue that it suffers a little bit coming so soon after Snake Eyes, which is a terrible thing to say about a Marvel movie coming after a GI Joe, a third attempt at a GI Joe franchise. Simu Liu is, is perfectly likable and everything, but he's not an immediate standout. You don't gravitate towards him. He's not this 
epicenter of charisma and cool. You don't look at him the same way that you looked at Chadwick Boseman, for instance, where you go, I like this guy, I care about what happens to him, I understand his motivations, his personality, everything he likes in the universe, I want him to succeed in life, I care about him. There isn't quite that effect. And I think part of that is Simulu plays it a little bit too cool. Having said that, Tony Long is always good value for money, especially in like, you know, magnanimous yeah. villain form. Because this has got like magneto levels of, of gravitas sort of heaped onto yeah. it. Uh, Orcofina, obvious scene stealer. Michelle Yeoh, obvious scene stealing badass. You're getting peak Orcofina in this, by the way. You are getting Ryan the Last Dragon Orcofina in this. I played the clip when I was on the call, call with Mary Amelia, and she just lit up thinking of Sisu the Dragon. Um, I think it's upper mid tier Marvel. I don't think it's a dark world, but it's no Ragnarok. It's Thor 1. Better than Thor 1, I would say. It falls apart for me when they're trying to add depth because Destin Daniel Cretton, again, is telling and not showing. And in a movie that's about a father-son relationship in the Marvel Universe, come on, I should be the easiest lay in the galaxy for that. And I just wasn't invested in this. There is a lot of, here is our family relationship, I'm going to tell it to you. Do I have any affection towards you? No, I'm showing no physical emotion whatsoever. Let's fight. But having said that, it's Marvel doing Wuxia. So it's an automatic three-star for that. I'd argue you could have four-star for the good times and the set pieces. But you're not getting the depth of something like a Black Panther with this. Welcome back to Off Screen. Thank you for sticking with us. I have calmed down. I have no longer got my head in my hands. Sat out Shang-Chi. That's what it was. You were just sat in the corner. I saw you cradling your cup of tea, rocking back and forth, singing We Love Each Other So Much. Do you know what, Van? It was when we just did a sound check just before we started recording this and you played that I Love You So Much. And I was like, turn it off. It was an accident as well. I apologise straight after. But for what I understand, I think you, you like our next film a bit more, thankfully. Yes, yes, okay. I do. Why, why don't you tell yeah. us about Here Today, then? Okay, Here Today is a film starring Billy Crystal, directed by Billy Crystal, and I'm not sure, but most probably written by Billy Crystal. Co-written, because co he's co-written this based on, I think, a play, and the co-writer is the play's original author. I think it's Alan Zweibel offhand. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, but we thought, I thought to myself, probably a triple threat from old Billy Crystal here. But he plays a guy called Charlie Burns, who is um, a very successful, almost verging on legendary comedy writer mm. in the film, book, and uh, TV, sort of Saturday Night Live style. Um, how do you kind of describe those? Where they come on and they do skits? Sketch show. It's a, it's a, sketch, it's show, just a yeah. sketch show. Saturday Night Live style sketch show, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So he's kind of really renowned there, but he's getting on in age. And what we don't realise until it becomes, starts to become apparent very early in the film is that he is suffering from some form of dementia. And it's only when he meets um, the lovely Emma, who is played by Tiffany Haddish, does he kind of build up the confidence to kind of address the issues that he's facing. I want to point out as well that Emma, being Tiffany Haddish, has some quirks of her own, up to and including using her friendship with uh, Billy Crystal to try and make her ex-boyfriend, a fan of his, jealous. It's too late. I've moved on. I met someone and we're in love. What? Already? Uh, he's over there right now. You want to meet him? Okay. Come on, you'll see if it's some Hey. Hey, man. hey, hey, you are great. I mean, that was that's terrific. What the hell is going on here? Oh, Charlie, 
This is my ex-boyfriend, Dwayne St. John. Oh, I hear you're a fan. Thank you. This is your boyfriend? No, he's my bae. You use my auction thing? Oh, yeah, all $22 of it. And thank you. It's the first day of the rest of my life. Ain't that right? Yeah. <laughs> I love everything you do. And now he's doing me. <laughs> Ain't that right, Charlie? You got that right, baby. Mm-hmm. Here's what I, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, I know it's quite, there's a linear element to it, but I do, I did really enjoy it. Um, what I would say is if you watch The Father and you think that approach to dementia is heart-wrenching, this is like a heart-warming <laughs> approach to dementia. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the way I'd sort of, I'd sort of suggest that you, uh, you, you approach this yeah. because because of Billy Crystal, because of the way that he's brought in this kind of comedic element to it, because mm. of Tiffany Haddish, what you're getting here is not the film that I walked into seeing or, or thinking that I was going to see. Because when you first meet Tiffany Haddish, she's, as you can probably tell from just her general vo vocals, is she's oh. quite brash and bold and out there. She's, she's Tiffany Haddish, isn't she? I yeah. think they're both just playing themselves. I don't think either of them's getting much in the rain, much in, in, in sort of the, the realm of new experiences with this part. I think, you know, Billy Crystal is just playing, you know, what if Billy Crystal had early dementia and Tiffany Haddish is just, what if I was Tiffany Haddish and I was friends with Billy Crystal, which evidently, yeah. apparently, is something that happened during this movie. They're like best friends now. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that's lovely to hear, actually. Um, <laughs> it shows, doesn't it? It does show. Do you know what? There's great chemistry between them. I think it weaves it through different narratives in a way that you kind of keeps it slight, keeps you slightly on your toes with it, but not ever too much that you kind of go, they're trying to be, they're trying to be too clever with this. I think it's a nice movie. It is, yeah. you know, for, people will take this and leave it, but from a comedic perspective, I laughed. I thought it was good. I had fun with it. I, I welled up in it towards you know the the, the climax of the film i think it's got a lot of great elements to it and i thought it was really well done and for me i think this is a movie that i think a lot of people will learn from and enjoy and see a very different side i suppose to that kind of chemistry with with tiffany haddish and and billy crystal you wouldn't obviously see them as a good pairing but it really works that's it, isn't it? You're seeing it for their chemistry and, and their performances. And, and how much you like the film, I think, is going to depend largely on how much you like them. Um, going to the comparison thing as well, you mentioned The Father. I found a comparison point in The Upside as well, without getting into the original uh, mm. Intouchables, but The Upside with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. The way that that shot and pitched... Yeah. I found very comparable to this. So if you were a fan of The Upside, you randomly caught that in Sky Cinema over the last year and thought that, um, you may do well to see uh, here today as well. But uh, I, I thought this was uh, this had some charm. It was a bit yeah. middle of the road for my taste, but yeah. I, think it, I think it definitely has its charms. I'm a Billy Crystal fan. Absolutely, and that's what I mean by it. It's a nice movie. You'll yeah. stick this on. It's about. It's just under two hours. It's an easy watch. But again, you're going to do it because you love Billy Crystal and you love Tiffany Haddish, and seeing them together works its own little kind of on-screen magic. It absolutely does. So, um, speaking of on-screen magic, right, Max? <laughs> you know when you were telling me about you, you were telling me off mic about your experience watching the films for this week, yeah, and uh, how you had you put it to your husband that you know, you've got to watch this film and this film, and uh, that you watched the trailer for Annette and put that off. Well, now I'm going to do the quiz show thing and tell you. Well, Miss Perfect, here's what you could have won. Oh, you could have no. won. 
Oh, you could have won one hour and 48 minutes that I am effectively going to pitch to you. And I wish someone had done this to me because I'd have been first in line if they had. I'm going to pitch this movie as Danish Raid. Okay, so the movie Ooh. is called, yeah, Danish Raid with a racial element. Like, they've, they've, added, they've added contemporary sociopolitics to this as well. Like, sign me up. Okay, so the movie is called Shorter. And in a, in a moment lifted straight out of one of your favourites, Sicario, the oh. movie literally opens with shorter means police in Arabic. And you're like, oh my God, we're doing a Sicario. We're doing a Sicario, I'm in. And then the movie starts, you're like, oh my God, we're doing a raid. We're doing a raid, I'm in. I Honestly, I couldn't contain my excitement all the way through this. So this is the story of two police officers, Jens and Mike. I'm sure that's not how they're pronounced. They're Danish, I'm sure it's pronounced, but I'm calling them Jens and Mike. So Jens and Mike. Jens, I think, is the older one. Jens is the gruff, grizzled, corrupt one. Mike is the sort of new one who's inadvertently found himself in a position where he, he's sort of faced with having to potentially rat out fellow cops. And he's paired up with Jens for the day, the older grizzled one. And they're, you know, as the city is basically in the grips of this news story about a racially charged incident of police brutality, so some cops have beaten up a young Muslim teenager who's got some gang affiliations. And he's hang clinging on to life. And the whole city is like a racial hotbed at this point, like waiting to find out what happens to this kid. So you have our two mismatched cops. They're doing a routine traffic stop that just so happens to be in the heart of gangland. And the kid dies. <clears throat> what do you think then happens? Well, the race war breaks out. And the two cops, one very, very deeply racist and corrupt, it's worth pointing out, find themselves caught in the middle of this. So it's part raid, part assault and precinct 13, part dread, part escape from New York, all action all violence, all racially charged horror. And it's all subtitled as well. So unfortunately we don't have a clip, but you have a question, I see. Well, yeah, so when I was sitting down with my husband to pick what movie I will watch, but in his presence, mm -hmm. I actually, so I went through IMDB to look at all of these before I made the decision, maybe catch a trailer. I couldn't find Shorter on IMDB. Um, so for that reason, I kind of bypassed it as a priority because yeah. I was like, well, we need to watch something easy for the old husband. So <laughs> that's why we went because with here Because sometimes, today. in some countries, it's referred to under an English title as enforcement. I don't quite ah. know why. But I thought this was great. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get past the comedic part where you could arguably say that the leads are played by young Paddy McGuinness and Ro young Robert Llewellyn, respectively, which is funny only to me, I guess. But... Uh, it is a really well shot, really visceral, really tense action thriller. Like if you liked the raid, this is not as hard as the raid. Yeah. Like the the raid goes hard. You know, like the, the raid goes full ham from like minute one. You know, there's like a five minute build up and the raid goes in. This takes its time a little bit more and it's a little bit more subtle as it eases you in. But once it gets in there, it, it really goes. I mean, there's an instant with a, a vicious dog in this film, which if, if you're one of those people that just can't watch, you know, human on dog violence in a movie, skip this, believe me. Mm. But it is a nasty film, but it has things to say, strangely, as well. And it couldn't be more relevant, especially after the last sort of 18 months as well. Could not be more relevant if it tried. I think this is great. I don't just think this is the best film out this week. <clears throat> I think this is going to turn out to be one of the best films of the year. Certainly one of the best action films of the year. 
Well, do you know what I'd say? I'd say, Van, we started the show with a massive low of the net. I'm really glad that in terms of our big releases this week, we're ending on a high. <laughs> we are, we are. We are definitely yeah. and comparatively light years I think apart. it just got better and better and better as we were kind of going through the films this week. So good order placement from you. <laughs> I think so, I think so. But yes, a shorter, I, I can't recommend how... It, like The Raid, it is It is best in its subtitle form. I'd imagine Like The Raid, a dub would kill this. Uh, mm. But do check this out. This is seriously unmissable stuff. And if you liked The Raid, like I say, or you liked Dread or things like that, those kind of confined tension films, 16 blocks with Bruce Willis is another good example not yeah. quite as visceral uh, check this out this is unmissable stuff Welcome back to Off Screen. Thank you for sticking with us. We've brought you all the big movies on the big screen. Now it's time to scale down and look at what's happening on the small screen for you. And actually, you know what? We're going to start off the weekend with one hell of a fun ride. Um, a Marvel movie that I think loads of people love, whether or not you were a dedicated Marvel fan or not. This is brilliant. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. It's on BBC One, 10.35pm on Saturday night. I really enjoyed this. I think it was a really fun ensemble piece that worked for me. And you know how I feel about like Avengers Assemble where there's like too many characters mm. and it's just too complicated. This is actually, this is kind of retro. It's funny. Chris Pratt is great in it. And it has all that Marvel magic that I think lots of people will just enjoy. Absolutely. It is just a rollicking space adventure, isn't it? I, mean, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing it for the very, very first time uh, at the Odeon Leicester Square in 2014 and at the, the, the multimedia screening. And I think I, I came out with that and said, but that is, that's like the new Star Wars. Yeah. But, but I, I don't or like think... like Spaceballs. <laughs> well, that was it. But it is, it is more... It, 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 played to me like what would happen if you made Star Wars now if there never had been a Star Wars yeah. and you made it now I think because of the shift in cultural attitudes the way we you know uh, 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 the way we uh, we use brevity and things like that now and 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 bathos things like that, I think you would get Guardians of the Galaxy and yeah. you know I was wrong it did catch on I, I thought it was brilliant and it wouldn't catch on turned out it's brilliant and it did catch on I could yeah. not be happier for it it's a great movie it still holds up it's a movie you can watch over and over again I think the last time I watched it was the week we went into lockdown and it still holds up it's still brilliant it's a movie it's I'll all watch to do with Groot, that's why. It's always still Groot. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, for me, Michael Rooker, I love Michael Rooker as Yondu as well. And of course, Batista as, yeah. uh, as, as Drax the Destroyer. Nothing goes over my head, my reflexes are too. But also like Bradley Cooper as well, you know, that's got great, great cast in it that just works. Zoe Saldana, um, oh gosh, what's our Scottish actress called? Uh, oh, Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan, there you go. Don't ever, uh, don't ever let Rob Yeomans hear you hear you forget Karen Gillan's name, Miss. Oh no, uh, not ever. Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord, you corrected me. <laughs> I will say, I will say. Uh, I remember at one point, I think Adam Sandler was in line for Rocket Raccoon, Ooh. and yeah, and that didn't happen. And Adam Sandler has recently been spotted taking meetings at Marvel. And it's worth Ooh. noting that there is another motion capture voice performance role coming up in a big Marvel movie in the next couple of years. So I have a theory. Just all I'm going to say, 
I have a theory, and it is tattooed on my chest. All I'm going to say. <clears throat> but anyway, moving on to Sunday. And I think we've got the perfect Sunday afternoon film mm. this week. This is what's better for the whole family on a Sunday afternoon, cinematically. And Adam's family doesn't count. Has to be a Roald Dahl one. <laughs> Supernaturally tinged, otherworldly. Roald Dahl tale. It's none other than the Spielberg-directed BFG, which, again, I thought this would be a huge thing. This one didn't turn out to be a huge thing. Uh, on 3.45, BBC One on Sunday afternoon. Well, I mean, it's the timeless classic, Roald Dahl children's classic, brought to life by none other than the maestro himself. But why did you bring me here? Why did you take me? Well, I had to take you. Because the first thing you'd be doing... You'd be scuddling around and yodling the news that you were actually seeing a giant. And then there would be a great rumple dumpus, wouldn't there? And all the human beings would be rummaging and whiffling for the giant what you saw and getting wildly excited. And then they'd be locking me up in a cage to be looked at with all the squiggling, you know, hippo dumplings and crocodile dillies and jiggy rafts. And then there would be a gigantic look-see giant hunt for all of the boys. I won't tell. No one would listen to me anyway. I'm an untrustworthy child. Do you know what? I've got a little story about this. So, you know, you said it it didn't become the big thing that we thought it would do. Mm. They certainly hedged their bets on it and they created this, like, this BFG wonderland in Leicester Square for the premiere. Mm. And I was lucky enough to kind of walk around it for... I was filming something... And they had like a giant chair and some, you know, snoz cumbers and stuff like that all over the place. And I turned round and I'd literally just bumped into Steven Spielberg. physically bumped into Steven Spielberg. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Congratulations. (laughs) It was one of those surreal moments of meeting one of your heroes. So yeah, amazing. I wouldn't give. Uh, On to a movie that I don't think anyone's going to be celebrating uh, anytime soon, least of all Johnny Depp. Um, Monday, 6.20, ITV2. It's Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. In fact, talking about people who won't celebrate this, arguably the accountants at Warner Brothers. Uh, Not a great sequel. I think, did we pick this because it was the best of a bad bunch? A little bit, but also I do think that there's obviously those fans that like Fantastic Beasts and you know, might not have caught this in a way. So um, don't give me that look. People do enjoy Fantastic there are, there Beasts. Are people, there are people that get sexual kicks from being beaten around the head and face. There are lots <laughs> of lunatics in the world. <laughs> yeah. What, do you not like the franchise in itself? Do you not think it works? I don't like the Fantastic Beasts. I like Harry Potter just fine. Harry Potter's fine. I have no time whatsoever for, ta- for Fantastic Beasts. I think the cursed child... What the hell is the cursed child? I think J.K. Rowling is not an especially good writer, if I'm being honest. As a human being, she leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. And, uh, and and I'll be really honest, Harry Potter fans are second only to football supporters in my books. Like The actual product they're supporting is fine. Their support of it verges on the fanatic and deeply off-putting. Okay, well, in that case, you know when it's on. Let's move on to something that we both very much support. Um, and this is on t- Tuesday at 11.10pm. Uh, Way too late for this, but press that record button. It's on ITV4. Uh, this is a, what, a Scorsese classic. This is the one that you will be beating your chest and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, too, because, of course, it is The Wolf of Wall Street. If you have not seen this, this is the fastest three-hour movie, pretty much, 
that you'll ever watch. Um, it is absolutely brilliant. It is a wild ride into the world of Jordan Belfort and his world of stocks, and here is why. John, one thing I can promise you, even in this market, is that I never ask my clients to judge me on my winners. I ask them to judge me on my losers because I have so few. And in the case of Aerotine, based on every technical factor out there, John, we are looking at a grand slam home run. Okay, let's do it. I'll do four grand. $4,000, that'd be 40,000 shares, John. Let me lock in that trade right now and get back to you with my secretary with an exact confirmation. Sound good, John? Yeah, sounds good. Great. Hey, John, thank you for your vote of confidence, and welcome to the Investor Center. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. How'd you f do that? <laughs> I love this movie so much. I think to someone, I think to someone, to someone our age, this is kind of comparable to Goodfellas. I think in the way that a lot of us, like the older peers, do have that. I mean, obviously we love Goodfellas, but I think the way that a lot of our older peers obsess over Goodfellas, I think has this has a similar effect on us. Like we quote this the way a lot of older people, I think, quote Goodfellas. I have to say, out of pure coincidence, as we're recording this and talking about The Wolf of Wall Street, I have a book in front of me, which was propping up my microphone, right? And it is yeah. a real Wolf of Wall Street style guy that I met on a staycation who told me his absolutely bonkers story. His name's Mark McClafferty, and he's written a, he's written a book called Exile Corporation. He basically did exactly the same thing as Jordan Belfort. He now can no longer go into the States again. He was taken wow. back via Con Air when he was arrested by the FBI and Scotland Yard in the UK. Absolutely wild, wide, wide story. And yeah, I just looked down and just saw that as we were talking about the Wolf of Wall Street and thought, wow, what that is a, another comparison. So that's going to be made into a movie at some point, I'm pretty sure. I mean, one of the things that has always irked me uh, with COVID and the lockdowns and everything is that it took away my opportunity to go to the Wolf of Wall Street live experience in London, which I will still maintain. Because I think I've it been. started. And, have you been? It was awful. Was it awful? Oh, man, it was I was going to say, I was going to say, unless yeah. you've got coke and hookers in there, how is it an authentic Wolf of Wall Street? It's just a lot experience? of people shouting. That's well, all well, anyway, I, I, I will go on to a rant about how Matthew McConaughey needs to play John McAfee in a, in a bi biopic sometime soon. I think that is still happening somewhere. But we've got to move on. Uh, really quickly, the 1993 adaptation, I think, of Little Women. Is it 93 or 94? Yes, we know a writer and Kirsten Dunst, I want to say. Winona Ryder, Kirsten Dunst, Susan Sarandon, Christian yes. Bale. Uh, this is one of my favourite movies of all time. I think it is the go-to Little Women adaptation for the big screen. It's absolutely gorgeous. You prefer this to the Greta Gerwig one? I do, yeah, yeah. And it's well, on Film 4 at 6.35pm. Please do watch it. It still holds up. It still looks brilliant. And Winona Ryder as Joe March will absolutely win your heart in this. She's brilliant. Kind of the beauty of a period piece, isn't it? They don't age that badly unless no. you know, they were contemporary when they were made. So I think we're, we're kind of good in that one. Speaking of uh, ageing uh, relatively well, actually, uh, Thursday night, ITV4, 11.25. It is the Ron Howard-directed Mel Gibson, Delroy Lindo, Gary Sinise, Renee Russo, Lily Taylor thriller, Ransom from 1996, I want to say. I love yeah. this movie. It's one of my favorite thrillers like i this is top 20 all-time thrillers i mean this is a classic died in the wool old school hollywood thriller your son is kidnapped you're the billionaire what do you do you don't pay the ransom instead you pay it as a bounty on his kidnappers only mel gibson could have pulled this off at the height of his fame i don't think there is an actor really could play this in the same way now i don't think at all 
no, there's some sort of broodiness yeah. about him, this sort of Brando broodiness that works with, with we him. We don't this. have a movie star that fits that mold anymore. Mel Gibson no. is the last uh, one of that. Arg- arguably the closest we get now is Gerard Butler. But even then, not quite got the dramatic <laughs> side, has he? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Finally. Speaking of, yeah. speaking of gr- gruff and with a dramatic side, let's do Friday, Bex, what you got? Oh, well, I've got the, the award-nominated... Award-nominated. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, this is the thing that Ryan Reynolds cannot ever believe has happened. <laughs> it is it is the wonderful Logan, which is on E4 at 9 o'clock on Friday. Uh, this, is, this is Wolverine grows up, grows old, gets a load of heart and becomes very, very serious. Eat him, Mr. Monson. You understand you're trespassing right now, right? I have an easement with the previous owner of your property. <laughs> previous being the operative word. Who's this? Just a guy telling you to get back in your nice truck and go play okie somewhere else. Hey, Carl. It looks like Mr. Monson hired some muscle. Looks that way. He's a friend of mine. Friend with a big mouth. I hear that a lot. And you probably hear this too. More than I'd like. And you know the drill. I'm gonna count to three, and you're gonna start walking away. Yeah, right to this one. One. I have a lawyer now. Two. Three. Oh, I thought this was brilliant. I was, I found it emotional. I thought it was fantastically active from Hugh Jackman as ever, but Mm. just there was some sort of level of like new maturity of what he brought to this character. Can't remember the name of the little girl in it. Um, Uh, Daphne Keane. Uh, yeah, yeah, she is I believe brilliant. she's from is she from His Dark Materials, I think. The, the oh, okay, show's yeah. quite popular, I think. Really, really excellent performances. This is this is like a superhero movie that's grown up is the way I kind of describe this. <laughs> well, because it is effectively a superhero riff on Shane, on the old Western uh, Shane. And Hugh Jackman, absolutely tremendous in it, wonderfully uh, realised by uh, uh, James James Mangold, who, of course, has gone from this to, uh, you know, went on to direct uh, Le Mans 66, 4 v yeah. and is now directing Indiana Jones 5. So, you know, I've got mm. nothing but uh, excitement for that one. I mean, it could not possibly be as bad as Crystal Skull. But uh, time will tell on this one and in the meanwhile you can of course see the phenomenal logan uh close out your week see that on friday night e4 9 p.m it is a wonderful film Welcome back to Offscreen. Thank you so much for sticking with us as we take you through this wild ride of movies this week. And it has been quite a wild ride, I have to say. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this week, but, um, you know, go and watch Shorter is probably what we're sort of saying to you. Just for the takeaway, really, doesn't it? Now, um, in days of old, we used to have things called DVDs and Blu-rays, and we still have them just... Sure, Grandma, let's get you to bed. (laughs) Well, actually, don't get me to bed if there's going to be a horror movie that's going to scare me before I go to bed, uh, before I go to sleep. And actually, our first offering on DVD and Blu-ray is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I love the Conjuring uh, franchise. I think it's brilliant. I'm not so keen on the Annabelle and the Nun spin-offs, but the the, the original movies with um, Vera Flaminga and Patrick Wilson are great. And this, a lot of people, the, this latest Conjuring movie, a lot of people kind of thought it's not as good as the first two. But for me, I, I enjoyed it just as much. It had, a, it, it's basically about the story of a guy who gets 
possessed, a young guy gets possessed by a demon. He essentially um, kills someone, gets put on trial. So this is more like a courtroom drama. And it's the first of its kind that uses kind of a supernatural scapegoat in a way uh, as, as the way to kind of get through to a non-guilty verdict. Well, it's, 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 it's the devil made me do it defense, isn't it? It's yeah. the first ever, first ever claim of uh, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Look, I don't think he should get the death sentence either, but I am not going before a grand jury and saying he was possessed by demons. It's never been done. Yes, it has. It's been done twice in England. The Michael Taylor case was just a few right, years ago. Let me rephrase that. It's never been done successfully. Then let us help you. Because Ed and I have proven the existence of the demonic hundreds of times. You've proven it to the church. This is a court of law. The standards of evidence are completely different. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. Now, to be fair, there is potential, bags of potential going for this, and I don't think the film really reaches, really achieves any of it. It doesn't make good on any of it. Um, if it is, for my money, very sadly, more of the same. And don't get me wrong, that's perfectly fine. That, that, that's perfectly fine. It has every right to be more of the same. It was obviously successful enough to warrant there being more of the same. But... You know, you do sit there and think, we've had like nine of these now, and this one dangles all of this potential in front of you and then does nothing with it. And you sit and think, well, why do that after all this time? Why dangle, especially after having done that third Annabelle movie where they did actually do something quite inventive with the formula? This feels like a waste for me. But if you're just in this for the, you know, that you want another go around, the merry go around, then fair play. You're not really. Yeah, I think. I think that's kind of where I came I came to with it because I, I just like these stories are based on real events, right? So for me, that's, can we can we put that in inverted commas? Real? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> quote unquote. Um, <clears throat> but for me, that that works in itself to keep me in, intrigued enough. I'm learning something, and and I ended up googling, you know, what was going on afterwards. So it it kept my attention. I'm I'm agreeing with you that it's not the strongest of the Conjuring franchise mm. whatsoever, but. It's watchable, it's enjoyable nonetheless. Something that I don't think is as watchable, however, um, is also available <laughs> on DVD and Blu-ray, and this is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I almost turned this off as quickly as I turned Annette off, but um, this is the wow. second... Yeah, I re well, I really didn't enjoy this at all. This is the second outing for um, what I thought in the initial run, the first movie, was actually really enjoyable. So this is Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, Salma Hayek... Um, and Antonio Banderas, I think, joins this one as the villain. Antonio Banderas yeah. and Morgan Freeman join this one, don't they? Yeah, I think they do. And to be honest, do you know what really grated me with this movie is actually Salma Hayek's character. It really? was, yeah, too much. Just She was just almost grotesque as a character and it was really, really boring me uh, partway through this. So I kind of switched off. I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think the sequel is a patch on the first one. The first one is pretty good. It, it was surprisingly, surprisingly good. enjoyable. The, yeah. The first, one. the first one was surprisingly good because it didn't seem like it was going to be. And then you saw it like, okay, this was pretty good. And then you get the sequel and it, it's not a patch on it to the extent that the only comparison I could really think to make with it is Red 2. Yeah. You know, when you had Red yeah. and Red 2, that's how I feel about this. Like, I can take or leave Red 2. And I can do yeah. that with this. Like, don't get me wrong. I'd rather watch Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard again than I would rather than I would uh, Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It. But 
that is because you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Ryan Reynolds whore, so that's perfectly fine. <laughs> but anyway, so you can pick those up on DVD and Blu-ray, and they are, they are both sequels. So odds are, you know, there's a built-in audience for those ones, I would say. But on streaming, kind of well, one is that one is a very known commodity now, but we do also have something of an unknown commodity coming out next week. But let's talk then about. You and I know this film, Inside yeah. Out, just from Oscar season, really. But on yeah. Friday the 10th on Netflix, we are getting Sam Mendes. We are getting Roger Deakins. We are getting 1917 backs. Are you sick of the sight of it yet? <laughs> no, but I am intrigued to sort of think, when you watch this on the small screen, will it have that impact or will it lose its audience like the way Gravity did on the small screen? Is this something that should be immersed at in the cinema? Um, that is my only sort of concern around this. I love that. I love this film. I think actually, do you know what? I always compare this with Dunkirk, and I always prefer mm. Dunkirk because of the tension, the, the the sort of the the look and feel of it is more. This is kind of a little bit more formulaic in the way that it works, but nonetheless, a, a fantastic feat from Sam Mendes to kind of it, it, to kind of get through this kind of one shot style that he does. For me, it lacks the heart. That Dunkirk had. Uh, Do you know? Yeah. I, I I can't quite. This is the thing. The technical achievement on 1917, I think, is astonishingly overblown. Yes. Like I do sit there and think, like I, the, the compliments people heap on 1917 come almost entirely from a complete lack of understanding as to how editing technology works. Because mm. the actual what they've done is really not that it, you are talking about about using masking lines within straight lines in the frame so door frames and window frames that's it that is not that accomplished a task well like, look, i think the, the thing the, is the real achievement is in lining up the shots that's it it's planned. yeah but also like you've got to think that this this really is is it, it's the hook right so this mm. was the selling point the marketing point for this was that it's a one-shot take and people don't see that very often and you know, if you can build that hype around that that technology, even if, you know, the more people who are more fay with it, like you and I, that kind of see through the blurred lines of this, you know, don't yeah. see it as that amazing heat. For the general public, it's huge. So I kind of get it. I, that's the thing. I just, I I fall back on gravity and Sky, for, uh, not Sky, for Spectre, the opening of Spectre, for instance. I think people just really aren't still talking about those, those things. They were mentioned in the initial reviews, but they were never really came up again when people talk about 1917 now it's usually the second or third thing they say is oh it's meant to look like one shot which is weird in and of itself because the guy passes out for what seems to be about an hour at one point and <laughs> the screen fades to black like it's obviously not one shot is he he was unconscious for an hour get with it uh, you know it's still. Good. anyway it's good it's worth your time um, it's well, an I'm amazing in- film in yeah exactly of that yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it is one to be enjoyed on the big screen. So I'll be interested to see what the feedback is when it's coming to Netflix on Friday, which also um, leads itself into the platform of choice for Kate. Now, what is this? Well, we've had Lucy, we've had Anna, oh, now we've got Kate. <laughs> this right. is part of the. Horrible. Right, well, this is part of the ever-expanding pantheon of uh, female-centric action movies that just have single, like, female names, like Anna, Kate, Ugh. Lucy, uh, Nikita. And you could, you could literally, uh, you could, you could compile Nikita a list. Fine. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, Nikita. I love Nikita. But yeah. are we talking series or movie, though? Because I'm a big movie. Movie. Anyway, so this is the female-fronted action movie for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So this is this is why we're starting to see Mary Elizabeth Winstead's name around a bit lately. Also, she not because she's with you and McGregor. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they worked on Birds of Prey together. They had a child together now in recent weeks as well. Yeah. And she's got this to promote. So she's starting to uh, her publicists uh, starting to make an effort. Anyway, so she's got this action movie in which she is poisoned by the yakuza. She's an assassin who gets poisoned by the head of the yakuza, has about 12 hours to live, and sets out to find the cure. Does that sound familiar, Bex? Yes. What was that film a few weeks Uh, ago that we reviewed that was awful with Morgan Freeman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. That one, you remember the one? Was that uh, Ruby Rose? Was that the Ruby Rose one? That was Ruby Rose. Also, funnily enough, the exact plot of Crack as well. Which, funnily enough, turns 15, I think, today. Uh, yesterday, well, oh. yesterday, today at the time of recording, yesterday at the time you're hearing this. So, Crank, 15 years old, now remade as Kate, a neon-drenched Mary Elizabeth Winstead film. Looks a bit like Jolt as well at times, mm. but it's Netflix has been. So, you know, looks perfectly fun. I'm sure we'll have some uh, some thrills and spills. We might even get to review it next week if Netflix might. are actually... Might well, because Netflix only give us links if it's a Netflix original. If Netflix buy them, they don't bother giving, giving out links. It's like they don't care. It's so weird. Yeah, so strange. But there we go. We've got a good selection for you in every different way, shape and form in which you want to watch your movies this week. So, Including I think shorter. Hmm. Yes, I was going to say your big film this week should be shorter. Um, I'd also pick uh, Wolf of Wall Street on a TV as well if you want to watch that. And I would like to give The Conjuring, The Devil Maybe Do It, another go. But uh, you might think differently, Van. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to be... I mean, I, I re-watched Wolf of Wall Street all the way up to this morning, if I'm being honest, and I'm still quoting oh. along with it. I would happily do that again. Sell me this pen. Yes. Every time it kills me. But you know what? That I, I'm going to watch... I'm, I know I'm going to wind up seeing some of Wolf of Wall Street again on, I think, Wednesday night. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Good. Okay. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much once again for tuning in to another episode of Off Screen with Van Connor and myself. Uh, we will be back as ever with you next Friday uh, with more great movies uh, for you to check out and possibly some real turkeys in there too. But don't worry, that's why we take the hit. And we do it for you so you don't have to. But for now, I've been Vex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>